Continuing uh, our message that we started last week, uh, I've entitled The Truth Shall Set You Free, talking about the role of women and how women should deal with uh, uh, troubling situations in their home. And this actually is, is more than just women. This, this can be male or female, uh, how to deal with a bad situation in the home. And uh, I had some ladies come up to me <laughs> just said, oh, please don't beat up on the boys too hard. And I thought, well, that's what a weird thing. First of all, I don't think we men need you ladies to protect us from the pastor. I think, I think we can handle it, number one. Number two, this is not about beating up on our guys. I'll tell you what, Celebration Church, by and large, is full of some of the most incredible, committed, God-fearing, wonderful men you will see anywhere on the planet. These are men who love their wives, treat them respectfully, love their children, uh, committed to God, work hard, get involved. I mean, we, we've got some of the best men in the world at this church, and we travel all over the place. And it's something Pastor Lathan and I have talked about for years, as we are just amazed at the quality of men that are attracted to our ministry. And, and it's, it's the greatest compliment in the world to me when people say to me, either men or their, sometimes their wives, I've had women stop me in the grocery stores saying, my, my husband would never come to church, but he'll come to listen to you. You know, I love that. And that's fabulous. And we have some of the best men in the world that come to this church. So this is not about beating up our guys. This is about teaching how uh, to how women should be dealing with, or anybody should be dealing with, really bad scenarios in the church or in the, in their marriages. Now, as as we continue this series about the truth setting people free, what what has happened so much today is, uh, and, and it's amazing how many emails I've got this last week about women who said to me. You know, I used to be in this kind of relationship or this kind of marriage, whatever the deal was. And some of them 10, 15, 20, 25 years plus uh, in really horrible situations. And all they ever got from pastors and Christian leaders was quoted the same verses that everybody quotes. Basically, women should just submit. No matter what happens, women should just submit uh, or just make sure they keep giving their husband sex or whatever. As I referred to it last week, shut up and put out. And I've challenged that this is not, in fact, what the Bible teaches. Now, I believe the reason so many pastors and Christian counselors automatically fall to these two verses in the Bible when counseling uh, women in troubled marriages is because, quite frankly, they don't know what else to say. If a question about, a question about marriage arises, virtually unanimously, you will hear Christian counselors and leaders going to Ephesians 5 where it says, women should just submit to their husbands and husbands should love their wives. Now, the number one book actually in the country for Christian uh, marriages today is called Love and Respect. It's based on Ephesians, the fifth chapter, talking about love for men and women, how they should respect their husbands. It's uh, written by Emerson Egridge. It's really a great book. I would encourage people to read it. It's, it's very powerful. I know Emerson and Sarah Egridge personally. We've done speaking events together. Uh, he's a fabulous teacher. What he teaches is, in fact, true. There's no question about it. However, it is not all-inclusive. It does not contain, when you talk about this idea of love and respect, it does not contain everything about marriage. All the answers to problems in marriage are not just summed up in Ephesians 5. And when pastors and Christian counselors continue to, continue to try to address all marriage issues with just a couple of verses, they will continue to see marriages struggle and fail. And I want to stress again, this isn't always just, uh, even though we're applying this 
to women because so many women are being faced with this challenge today. It's not always just women. Sometimes it's guys who have wives who behave very, very badly. You know, uh, I've heard stories like, you know, my wife uh, uh, wants me to pay for airline tickets so she can go visit her boyfriend. And, and I did it. Why would you do that? I don't want to make her mad. Well, good Lord, she needs to get mad. Well, I'm just trying to walk in love. The Bible says love. I mean, you get extremes on both sides, people. And this formula that Christian counselors and pastors have been using to deal with marriage is just love and respect. That's the only thing. Submit just is ludicrous. It is not the whole story about marriage. In fact, the Bible says very little about marriage. So the obvious question is, why doesn't the Bible say more about marriage? Because the answer is quite simple. They didn't feel they needed to. The Bible doesn't say a great deal about specific scenarios about how to act at work. Or what is the best way to deal with your friends. Or how do you tackle certain family issues. The reason is clear. They assumed that all the principles of Christianity applied to all areas of life. There was no need to readdress for each and every area of life. There really aren't different biblical truths for single people than there are for married people by and large. Or old people versus young people. Or rich people versus poor people. There's little bits and pieces where will give a little tweak. Say, you know, well, if you're rich, make sure you do this. Or if you're a young person, approach life this way. If you're a single, approach life this way. If you're married, approach life this way. But they're just little tiny, just tiny little tweaks. They're assuming all of biblical truth applies to everybody in life. And it's true. This is where we're missing it when it comes to marriage. We are not applying all of Christian teaching. We simply focus on a few scriptures where marriage is actually mentioned. And again, the result is poor advice given to struggling couples. And by the way, it does not work. And we'll talk about this in much greater detail next week. Now you would think that applying all of Christian teaching would be a simple enough solution. Especially for marriages. And it would if people actually applied all of Christian teaching to other areas of life. But the truth of the matter is that churches are in such a state today where we're not applying all of Christian teaching in almost any area. And this is particularly true when it comes to the area of consequences to unrepentant bad behavior. In many churches, Christian teaching has become so dominated with grace-based teaching that the idea of consequences for unrepentant bad behavior is missing. You never hear about it. Everything we hear today is about love, love, grace, grace, mercy, mercy. All that's required is just believe. Just believe. And that nothing else really matters as long as you believe. And they say that's preaching the gospel. It is not preaching the gospel. That is a corrupted form of the gospel. Pastor, does not God love us? Of course he does. Is there grace and forgiveness available? Of course there is. But are there consequences for unrepentant bad behavior? Absolutely. And I want to show you some scriptures that are largely ignored in Christian teaching today. Some of you will be shocked by some of the verses I'm about to read because you've never heard this. But this is the New Testament. There's tons of it in the Old Testament. Now we'd run out of time to show the consequences for bad behavior. But we'll stay with Some, just a few here in the New Testament. Let's start in Matthew, the 18th chapter, where Jesus, our Lord, is teaching his disciples this. He says, if your brother sins against you, and the uh, implication is continues, in other words, it's unrepentant. 
And that's what we've got to think about. We're talking about unrepentant. If somebody does something bad or makes a mistake, look, there's forgiveness and grace for all of that stuff. And Jesus said, even if a guy keeps struggling with the same problem 70 times, seven in a day, you need to forgive them. But we're talking unrepentant. I'm not going to change. I don't have to change. I don't need to change. God doesn't care if I change. All the excuses. And continuing to act badly over and over and over again without changing. You think everything's just going to be okay? No, it's not. Jesus said, you go to such a guy and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. Great. But if he will not listen, then you take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses still to listen to them, then tell the entire church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then treat him as you would a pagan or tax collector. Now, I have to understand, pagans and tax they had nothing to do with those people. What he's saying is to a person who claims to be a Christian, if he will not change and refuses to change, you have nothing to do with them. Well, that can't be right. What about love? What about love? (laughs) Romans, the 16th chapter. Now, Paul's talking. He says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. The King James Bible says, mark them, mark them, mark that guy. And what does it say? Keep away from them. Whoa. That's kind of mean, isn't it? What about love? What about forgiveness? What about compassion? Blah, 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 blah. Paul said, look, if they keep acting this way, we're talking about people who go around causing trouble, always getting people fighting, complaining about everything. You mark them. If they don't change, you don't have anything to do with them. And of course, these are the people who, if a church does the right thing, they'll go to another church and say, you know, those people over at Celebration, they wouldn't have anything to do with me. That's terrible. Come here. (laughs) We're about grace. 1 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Check this one out. Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He's just ticked off with them because they're, they are refusing to man up and do the right thing and challenge people to live the right way. They're all about love, love, grace, grace. He says, this actually reported that there's sexual immorality among you in the church and a kind that does not even occur among pagans. Man, what this guy's doing, even the pagans don't do this. A man has his father's wife. Now, this either means he's having sex with his stepmother or his mother, God forbid. He says, and you're proud. Oh, yeah, everything's fine. Everything's fine. Love, 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 love. Shouldn't you have rather been filled with grief and put out of your fellowship the man who did this? What? Throw him out of the church? What? Even though I'm not physically present, Paul says, I'm already with you with you in spirit, I've already passed judgment on the one who did this, just as if I were present. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I am with you in spirit, and the power of our Lord is present. Now they're talking about prayer, getting together for prayer. This is how I want you to pray for the person. Verse 5. Pray that God will touch his heart and soften him up and just flood him with so many blessings that he will know what to do, and then he'll just be a nice man. Is that your translation? What do you pray? You pray to hand this man over to Satan. Whoa! Whoa! I mean, when people are praying for you and their prayer is, God, let the devil have him. That's a bad day for you. (laughs) Why would you pray such a prayer? 
so that a sinful nature may be destroyed. I'm telling you, they were praying, just let Satan have him. Just beat the tar out of him. Bring every bit of grief and misery in his life that he possibly can. Why? So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. It's called discipline. It's called consequences for unrepentant bad behavior. Your boasting, he goes on, is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough? And I was using the analogy of unleavened bread, which is a big thing in Judaism. And uh, he says, get rid of the old yeast that you may have be a new batch without yeast, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. The analogy is it doesn't take much yeast to get in. You just put a little bit of yeast and it changes the entire nature of the bread. And what he's analogy here is it just takes a little bit of sin to corrupt the whole deal. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old yeast, but the yeast of malice and wickedness, but with bread without yeast, the bread of sincerity and truth. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. I've told you this before. Don't have anything to do with sexually immoral people. Now, not at all meeting the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. I mean, if, you, if our, if our uh, command is have nothing to do with immoral people, man, you couldn't go anywhere. He says, but now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother. Someone who claims the name of Christ. Someone who says he's a Christian. Do not even associate with such a person who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral, immoral greedy, an idolater, slanderer, a drunkard, or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. Can't even have lunch with the guy. Well, what about love? What about love? What about forgiveness? It's not all about love. True love does not create a state of anarchy. Any more than it would with your children. Come on, you're supposed to discipline your children. It's not very pleasant. Particularly for them. And you don't do this because you hate your children. You do it because you love your children. Now they have a different view of this, by the way. <laughs> you hate me. You hate me. You hate me. You won't let me do whatever I want to do. You hate me. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Yeesh. The Bible actually teaches that if you let a kid do anything without discipline, that's when you hate him. People who say, oh, I would never discipline. I, just, I, I don't want to crush their spirit. I don't want to hurt their self-esteem. I can, you know, whatever they want to do, you know, you just got to let them do it. The Bible says you hate a child when you do that to them. So that's what, not what I feel. I don't care what you feel. It's not about feelings. It's about doing the right things. Don't even eat with a guy like that. Wow. When was the last time you saw a church talk about that? When was the last time you heard anybody even encourage anybody? Don't have anything to do with that guy. He's a Christian. Okay, he won't repent. Don't have anything to do with him. Don't even eat lunch with him. Most people would freak. Half of you would freak. You're used to me yelling at you. you imagine all the people watching this DVD. <gasps> That's not love. That's not love. Here's Timothy talking about the little old ladies in the church. Now, you have to remember... Back in the day when you when this was written, women had very little recourse and ways of supporting themselves. If they didn't have a husband, they were pretty much in big trouble. So there were these women who were widows, and the church often would support them financially. 
But even then, Paul had rules for this. And his first rule is, look, if you got a relative who's a widow, don't bring him to the church, you take care of him. He says here, he says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, he's denied the faith, and worse than an unbeliever. Whoa, pretty strong words for someone who just won't support Susie here, who has a widow, who, who, who doesn't have her husband anymore. Worse than an unbeliever, Paul said. These guys did not mess around. Now get it, these are the people. This is the man who wrote about love, kindness, patience, forgiveness, all the things. God, open up our eyes so we can see your incredible love. All that stuff. But this version of just love, love, love with no consequence, no rules, no answering is a perverted form of the gospel. That's not true Christianity. He said, you can't take care of your own people in your own family. You're worse than an infidel. No widow may even be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60. What if she's only 50? No. Well, that's not love. Who's going to support her? Seriously, you think about this. We live in a culture today that doesn't want to have any rules about anything for anybody. And love just says you let everybody and you help everybody no matter what. Yeah, how's that working for us? No lady, unless she's over 60 and she's been faithful to her husband, as well as known for her good deeds. Look at the list here. Such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, devoting herself. You've got to be a really nice lady to get on this list. In Thessalonians, Paul writes this. For we, for even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. What rule? If a man will not work, he shall not eat. Well, that's not love. What about love? Yeah, love is letting him go hungry. Why? Hunger is a big motivator. <laughs> Get off your butt and go do something. That's part of our welfare system. Basically, you don't have to do anything. It's gotten better, but goodness gracious. Well, that's not love. That's not helping. Yeah, how's that working for us, by the way? We create wards of the state. Check out this one, Galatians. Paul's writing about Christians, other Christians, who are arguing about whether or not you should obey the law of Moses. Because there were some Christians who thought, look, I'm a believer, I believe in Jesus, but the Bible talks about circumcision and all the laws, you need to obey that. And Paul said, no you don't. And they'd get these big fights about it. Well, check it out. Paul says, even if we are an angel from heaven, now come on, if an angel from heaven shows up, you think you'd have some kind of clout, right? He's an angel from heaven. He says, I don't care. If an angel from heaven comes and tells you something other than the gospel we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. You know what that means? Let him go to hell. Ooh, that's kind of mean. We can't possibly have meant that. Yeah, he did, because he repeats it. In case you didn't understand what I was saying, as we've already said, so and I say to you, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you've accepted, let him be eternally condemned. Whoa! <laughs> I love this one. Galatians, the fifth chapter. Fighting with these guys, everybody's got to get circumcised. Got to be so. Got to be. It's because the Bible says circumcision. No, he says no. You don't. And then he argues. He says, "Listen, if I'm if I'm still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted, particularly by the Jews?" He's talking about. In that case, the offense of the gospel has been abolished. As for these agitators, as for all these guys going around saying everybody needs to get circumcised, he says, "I wish they'd go the whole way and emasculate themselves. In other words, cut their wieners off." 
Where's the love in that? That was amazing. As I'm pretty sure most of you have never ever heard a preacher quote that verse before. I mean, how sad is that? Or they'd never say anything. Oh my gosh, cut off his wiener. How terrible is that? But it's in the Bible. Why? Because there's consequences. It hurts just to read that one. Even God in dealing with people. That's just from the church. That's from Christians dealing with Christians. There's consequences. There's consequences with God. I read about it in Acts, the fifth chapter. It says, now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Now you've got to understand, what's happening here is everybody is giving all this money and sacrificing for the church. And what they did is they wanted to make everybody think they were sacrificing more than they were. Okay, for example, it's like they sold a piece of pro- property for 150,000, but then they came to the church and said, well, we sold it for 100 and we're giving you all 100, see? So they would be thought of as, as, as sacrificing and everybody would look up to them. Well, Peter said to Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before you sold it? Nobody told you you had to sell it. And after it sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You could have done whatever you wanted. The problem was they lied about it. Try to pretend they were something they weren't. Can't imagine any of us doing that. What made you think of doing such a thing? You've not lied to men but to God. Check out what happens. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. Wow. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. I'll bet. People start coming forward for prayer and you start dropping dead. There's going to be a lot of fear before you come down there to pray. Well, then the young man came forward and wrapped up his body, carried him out. About three hours later, his wife came in. She didn't know what had happened. Peter said, hey, tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Oh, yeah, she said, that's the price. He said, how could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. And at that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. And the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. At least they were together. And again, great fear seized the whole church. I'll bet. Look at 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter. Paul talking about communion. When you take communion, you're supposed to be serious about it. You should examine your own heart so that you're not taking communion when you're rebelling against God in your heart. He says, therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why, he says, so many of you are weak and sick and some of you have died. That's what it means when it says fallen asleep. I don't know why things are going so bad. So many people are sick, people are dying. Why is that? Why is that? Why? It just must be the devil. So that's what we want to do. We want, we, we, want to, we don't want any consequences to anything. We teach these scriptures and we go through all these big hurdles and intellectual gymnastics. Well, that doesn't mean that. You know, The Greek, uh, actually, when compared to the Hebrew and uh, look through the eyes of the Chinese, what it really means is... It's amazing how, how, how many people, they get verses like this and they freak out. They can't possibly mean that. Why? Because they, they can't conceive in their mind that there's actual consequences. 
If we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. But when we're judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined. So that we will not come be condemned with the world. Look at Hebrews. Have you forgotten the word of encouragement that addresses you as sons? My son, it says, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the, Lord's dis- the Lord disciplines those he loves. And he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. So he says, endure hardship as discipline. That's the first filter. When things start really hitting the fan in your life and everything's going wrong, the first filter is, am I walking right with you, God? Examine oneself. But we don't teach that. As soon as anything goes wrong in people's lives, say, well, it's just the devil attacking you. Just the devil's attacking you. Just the devil's. Now, it might be. But that's not the first place you go. First place you go, he says, endure hardship as discipline. View things like this as discipline. Is God trying to get my attention? For what son is not disciplined by his father? I mean, God would actually use difficult things in my life to discipline me? Yeah, he will. Well, that's not love. Of course it's love. That's why he uses the analogy of the father. If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, of course, he didn't realize United States of America in 2009, but Used to be children underwent discipline. He said, if you don't have discipline, then you're an illegitimate child and not true sons. Moreover, we have had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Yes, painful, painful. Everybody say painful. It hurt my pastor. That would really hurt. Yes, it's called painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Look, one truth is clear. Despite all the scriptures that talk about love and patience and kindness and forgiveness, etc., 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 all of that looks differently when there's unrepentant bad behavior in play. And you cannot, if you can't grasp that, you'll never be able to understand how the scriptures apply in the marriage covenant. To hang on to two scriptures in the Bible in, about marriage, submit and put out. And not to even th- think that those two verses stay in play or, or to consider that those always stay in play no matter what is ridiculous and absurd. It's ludicrous, foolishness, destructive and dis- dangerous and inconsistent with the truth of the rest of the scriptures. When there is bad behavior at foot. To say the only response is love and peace, man. Peace, man. Peace. Like a bunch of old hippies. Is ridiculous. And the stories I've gotten back from women who've been horrible relationships. and I mean the list is just shocking of some of the stuff that some of these poor ladies have gone through. And for 10, 15, 20, 25, 30 years, pastors and Christian teachers have told these women over and over again, well, just submit. Just submit. Don't, don't confront him. No, don't do that. Just peace, man, peace. It's absurd, and it doesn't work. Now, should a woman show deference and respect towards her husband? Absolutely. Just like ordinarily, we would forgive people who sin and make mistakes in the church. But make no mistake, when the line has been crossed, the Bible clearly teaches that discipline kicks in. And next week we will talk more about knowing when and where those lines are, particularly when it comes to the marriage covenant. 
I'm going to invite our ushers to get ready for communion. Our musicians can come back. This idea that no matter what people do, no matter how they behave, our only response is love and peace is absurd. There are consequences in life, in virtually every area of life. There's consequences among nations. If you have one nation as a rogue nation, other nations of the world will band together and bring consequences. We just celebrated yesterday, what, was the 65th anniversary? Not wedding anniversary. Anniversary of, uh, of D-Day. Omaha Beach. Respect, remembering for what those men did and all the lives that were lost. What was that? That was about consequences. As the world gathered to come against a rogue nation that was out of control. There's consequences in society. If you don't believe me, try driving 150 miles an hour around the mall. See how that goes for you. (laughs) You're suddenly going to have consequences. You don't think there's consequences? Send a letter to the IRS and explain to them you don't feel like paying taxes anymore. See how that goes for you. What's going to happen? Consequences. Even in the church. As I just laid out, and we could have gone on and on and on. There's no way, you can't possibly read the Bible and not see this. The only thing I can think of is these pastors and leaders just willfully are blind. Because they've so swung to an extreme of love and grace. And are teaching a corrupted form of the gospel. There's no way you cannot see that there are consequences for unrepentant bad behavior in the church. There's supposed to be consequences with children. Who act badly in the home. Every area of life. Yet these men and women. Are promoting and teaching to other women. Sometimes men. That despite the horrible behavior of their spouse. Their only response. Is submit. It is ludicrous. It is absurd. It is an insult to the teachings of the word of God. And it's not true. And it doesn't work. And we'll talk more about that next week. All right. Now we're talking about communion. Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. Why did he do that? So that there could be forgiveness. But there needs to be repentance. You don't just make excuses and explain it all away. I'm not that bad of a guy. Everybody does it. Blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. We've sinned against God. And one of the things is you need to be a big boy, big girl and admit, hey, I have sinned against God. The good news is Jesus died on the cross so that we could experience forgiveness of those sins. Don't hang on to your sin. Don't make excuses for your sin. Maybe you're here this morning and this is the first time you've ever really heard messages like this. and Maybe you've never even really been a real Christian. I'd like to have everybody bow their head in a word of prayer and everybody watching at the campuses, everybody just bow your head in a word of prayer. And I'm, I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to ask you all to pray this prayer along with me. And if you will pray this prayer with us and believe this from the bottom of your heart and you feel mean this, you can experience God's forgiveness in your life today. You can start your first steps of faith. You can truly know God's wonderful forgiveness. Without question, forgiveness, mercy and grace is the hallmark of Christianity. But you have to be willing to turn away from what you know is wrong. Let's pray this prayer together. Say, Dear Jesus... I believe you are the son of God and that you loved me so much. You went to the cross and you took my punishment. 
I ask you to come into my life and to forgive me of my sins. I now surrender my life to you. Amen.